Good morning again. Thank you, Tom. Uh, whenever I was in college at Oklahoma Christian University, I preached my very first wedding. Uh, there was a couple of friends of ours who were getting married, and they asked me to do their wedding, and that was very exciting. Uh, but at about 19 years old, I had no idea how to do a wedding. Um, I had to go buy a black suit, which was uh, a problem because I was so skinny I couldn't get one off the rack. Okay, this is actually me filled out, just so you know. It is what it is, okay? Um, also, I had to go get ordained, right? I had to get ordination papers to do a wedding in the state of Oklahoma. That's a thing. Uh, in Georgia, anybody can marry anybody. That's not a big deal. But in Oklahoma, you have to have ordination papers. I had to go do that. Um, also, I had no idea how to preach a wedding sermon. I didn't really know what to do with that. Uh, so I went and I asked my dad. I said, Dad, how do I do this? And he says, well, the way you do a wedding sermon is you go through the most famous chapter in the Bible on love, 1 Corinthians 13, and just talk through it, okay, and talk about all the different characteristics of what true love is and talk about how that's essential for a marriage. And so that's what I did for my first wedding sermon. Uh, and guess what I've done in every wedding sermon I've ever preached since then? Okay, you're done talking. You did good for the first one, but now you're done. Now I go to this most famous chapter, talk about what is real godly love. Okay, and yet if you look at the bigger context of 1 Corinthians 13, you notice it's not really about marriage at all. Uh, it's actually about worship. Okay, chapter 13 is squarely in a section of 1 Corinthians, which goes from chapter 11 through 14, all about worship. And in this chapter 13, he explains to the Corinthians how they were missing the most essential characteristic of true worship because they were so busy focusing on their spiritual gifts. Right? And he says, I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how great you have everything else going on. In your worship, if you miss love, you've missed the entire boat. Right, so I've got one point this morning, uh, which for those of us dads who chased our kids all weekend, this is good that you get the point early, so if you need to fall asleep, I don't judge you for that. Okay, but here's the one point this entire chapter makes, okay, and that is that love trumps everything. Now, I think the best way to preach this section of 1 Corinthians would be to cover chapters 12, 13, and 14 in one sermon. Don't laugh. Uh, I was actually talking to Brian Welchel about that earlier in the week and said, I can do that. It's going to take me about three hours to do it. Do you think that's going to be okay? Uh, and he said, it's fine with me. And yet I realized that for most of you, that's probably not a good plan. Uh, most of you have told me your favorite thing about my preaching is that I can keep it short. So I appreciate the encouragement. Okay, but I want you to notice the basic structure of Paul's outline here. Okay, in chapter 12, he talks about how we need each other's gifts. Okay, the body of Christ needs all of the gifts present if it's going to work right. Um, chapter 13 talks about the proper attitude that we need to bring with us in worship to use our gifts. Again, it's love, in case you didn't pick up on that on the last slide. Okay, and then in chapter 14, he talks about how to actually then practically use our gifts. In light of the idea that we need all of them, and then in light of the idea that we're going to do it with love, now what does that actually look like? And that's where he goes in chapter 14. So, I was thinking about how do I do this without doing a three-hour sermon, uh, and I'm going to do something that I'm sure has Paul shaking his head over, uh, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with chapter 13. 
We're going to camp there for a few weeks and talk about what is love, because this is the foundational piece that then we can use to address both chapter 12 and 14. Okay, so sorry if that ruins your whole day, but we're going to actually do chapter 12 later when we do chapter 14. We'll keep both of those together. Fair enough? No one had a better idea? Okay, sounds good. All right, so notice chapter 13. Actually, we'll pick up the very last line of chapter 12 as we get into chapter 13. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Right, again, what's his point? Okay, love trumps everything. Right, and yet I want us to think for just a minute about all the different ways that we so often misunderstand love. Right, in our world today, we talk about falling into or falling out of love. Okay, we describe love in a romantic relationship as if it's the same thing as falling into a hole in the ground on the road or something, right? It's something that you don't get to choose. It just happens to you. And I'm thinking of when I was at Oklahoma Christian and saw Rachel for the very first time, okay, and I thought she was really cute, okay, but is that the same as I just fell in love? I couldn't help it. It just happened to me. Of course, the problem with that kind of thinking is that then couples will often fall out of love with the same rapidity that they can fall into love, and then we have to break up because we're no longer in love, okay? And if love is just something that happens to you, um, then we'd have a lot more divorces than we already have, right? You know, another way that we misunderstand love uh, is we talk about making love, okay, as if love and sex are the same thing. Right now, love and sex are supposed to go together, uh, but I think we're all savvy enough to know that they don't always go together, right? And yet we talk about them as if they're the same thing. Also, another way we misunderstand love is we use the word love when what I really mean is that I like something. Maybe I like it a lot, right? I love Butterfinger candy bars. Okay? That's why my kids have never had one, right? Okay, I love a good science fiction movie. Uh, Star Wars is better than Star Trek. Don't fight me. Right? I love my Xbox. Right? Now, are all of those real feelings? Absolutely. Does that have anything to do with what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13? It's a totally different thing. Okay, we use the word love for all of those different things, and they all do kind of run together. Uh, but in the Greek-speaking world, they had different words for different kinds of love. Okay, the Greek word from which we get our English word erotic comes from that romantic sexual kind of love. Okay, they had a totally different word for that. All right, the word that we use for, uh, not, I'm sorry, the word that they use for friendship is the word phileo, right, from which we get the word like Philadelphia, brotherly love, right? That's the kind of friendship love, right? Um, that's the kind of love that you can have for a good acquaintance or somebody that you want to be friends with, okay? That's different than what Paul's talking about here, right? We know that in 1 Corinthians 13, what's the word Paul uses for love? It's agape love right? There's a reason why when we have a ministry that's dedicated towards helping children that our church supports, it's called agape, 
right? We're talking about a kind of love that's deeper. It's more meaningful. This isn't just buddy-buddy kind of love. This certainly is an erotic kind of love. This is the kind of love that's the kind of love that Jesus shows for us. How do we learn how to love like that? All right, and the first thing that we have to understand about how Paul uses this word in chapter 13 is that love is a noun, okay? It is not a verb, right? It is an action word. I'm sorry, I said that backwards, okay? Love is not a noun. It's a verb. It's something you do, okay? It's not just something you feel, okay? It's something that you have to act, right? And in every wedding I've ever preached, I make this point, Because if our relationships are to go right, then we have to understand that we can choose to love even though we can't always choose how we feel. You make a choice, I'm going to love. My wife's gone, so I can tell stuff I can't tell with her here. Um, One of the things that drives me absolutely crazy is something that happened just the other day. She does this to me all the time. I came home. She wasn't home. My kids weren't home. I was the only one that was home when I came into the door. And how many lights were on in the house? Okay. Not all of them, but there were four or five lights that were on. I'm like, are you using those lights? No. Turn off the light when you leave the room. Okay. Um, I didn't think that was a big deal until I started paying my own electric bill, right? And then I was like, oh, that's why dad got onto so much, right? Okay. It drives me nuts that she will not turn off all the lights when she leaves the house. Okay. So... That's kind of a silly example, but in your marriage, are you always going to feel warm, fuzzy feelings for your spouse? Are there going to be times where when you make the vow for better and for worse, it's the worse? Right? That happens. Okay, I see some elbows going. That's not the point of this, but fair enough, right? Okay, so in those times in my marriage, whenever I don't have warm, fuzzy feelings for my spouse because she left all the lights on, does that mean, well, I need to get a divorce because we don't feel like we're in love anymore? Okay, I need to go find a girl that knows how to turn off all the lights, Right? And she needs to find someone who knows how to shut all the cabinets after they put the dishes away. Okay. That's her biggest. Pe- I asked her before she left. I was like, what's your biggest pet peeve that I, that I do that just aggravates you? And she, without hesitation, said, it's that when I put all the dishes away out of the dishwasher, I don't close all the cabinets. She goes into the kitchen. She can tell I've been there because all the cabinet doors are still open. To which I say, at least I put all the dishes away. Right? Y'all have my back on this. I know. I can feel it. Okay, again, for more serious things, though, do we choose to love our spouse even when we don't always feel like loving our spouse? Okay, if we're going to have an agape kind of marriage, we do. Right? Why? Because love is a choice. It's not a feeling. Right, so, Paul, in this first section of chapter 13, he's contrasting the action of love with other actions, right? And his point in these first three verses is he's saying it is easier to do all of these other things than to love. It sometimes looks more impressive to do these other things than it looks like to love, but at the end of the day, love trumps everything, right? All of these other things that you could do, they may be very impressive, they may be what you think is most important, but they're not because love matters more than anything, okay? And so to make his point, Paul uses some hyperbole, okay? In this poem, he lists four actions which nobody can do, and then he says, even if you could do these things, if you didn't have love, they would be completely meaningless, okay? Even if you could speak angelic languages, Without love, it doesn't matter. 
Okay, even if you could understand everything, if you really did know everything like some of us think we do, even if you really did without love, it doesn't matter. Okay, even if you literally could move a mountain because you had so much faith, without love, it's completely meaningless. Right? If you could give away everything, right? and he says including your own body, if you could surrender your body to the flames for the sake of giving it to the poor, without love, it's worthless. Okay? And his point is that we are obsessed with all of the wrong things. Okay? We think, well, if I could just be more talented, or maybe if I was smarter, maybe if I studied harder, maybe if I worked more hours, then that would somehow make me who I want to be. Okay, and yet it doesn't work like that. He says, you really want to be a better person? You really want to be impressive to God? Learn how to love. All right, three things he says, three, three points I want to make in this passage about this. And here's number one. If you're making notes in your bulletin, uh, I've left you some spaces to, to write these down. Right, number one, it is easier to be gifted than to love. Notice the first line. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. All right, let's talk about the gift of tongues for just a minute. Uh, It's certainly disputed. This is one of the passages that people go to to get some some squirrely things out of. Uh, And you can disagree with me on this point if you want to, and we can still be friends, okay? I've got lots of friends who are wrong about lots of stuff, and that's fine. Okay, but I firmly believe that the gift of tongues that Paul is talking about here, and we'll also talk about this in chapter 12 and 14, okay, but the gift of tongues is the ability to speak a language that you haven't learned. Okay, and it's a human language. Right? This would be like if I go to the mission field and decide I'm going to go do mission work in Japan, and when I get there I can suddenly start speaking Japanese, that would be a miracle. Um, And I think that's the kind of gift he's talking about here. Uh, The clearest example we see in Scripture of this is in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Uh, when Peter stands up with the other apostles and they start preaching the gospel for the very first time to the people and start telling them about the resurrection of Jesus and everybody hears it in their own language and talks about that being the gift of tongues. Okay? Um, it, is, it is missionaries, it is people being able to preach in a language that they don't know for the reason that everybody else then can hear it. Alright? Again, that's in dispute, but I'm right about that. Alright. Regardless of whether I'm right or wrong about that, though, his point is, even if you had this gift better than anybody else has ever had it in the history of the world, how good is it for you if you don't have any love? It's worthless. Um, In New Testament times, uh, there were several pagan deities, and the way you worshipped the pagan deity was to make as much noise as possible. Okay, so in worship for goddesses and goddesses like Sybil and Bacchus and Dionysius, Uh, Worshippers would speak in as loud a voice as they could, and they would clang things together, and they would clang cymbals. Um, It's always a mark that pagan worship is as loud as you can possibly make it, which I don't know what that says about some churches, but that's a separate issue. Okay, but Paul is saying, if you had all of the gifts in the world, but didn't have love, you might as well be worshiping just like the pagans. It doesn't matter. I had a professor once, Uh, when I was in school, who had a a group of us wannabe preachers. And he looked at all of us and he said, you know, some of you guys are really talented speakers. 
You know how to tell stories really well. You know how to just develop points really well. You just have a natural charisma and talent for public speaking, and you will flame out of ministry. He said, some of the rest of you don't have that much talent for speaking. Uh, You will make mediocre preachers at best, and you will thrive in ministry. The difference is how well you love your church. The line I remember is he said, churches will put up with mediocre preaching so long as they can tell that you really love them. Insert your own joke about mediocre preaching at this point. I know you're thinking it. Okay. Guess what matters more than talent? It's love. You may be the most gifted person. You may be the most talented person who's ever lived, but love is more important. Uh, Who would you rather work for? A really talented jerk or someone who needs help on some things but knows how to love and be kind really well? Yeah, every time. Why? Because love trumps everything. All right, number two. And this one's hard for me. Uh, It is easier to be right than to love. It is easier to be right than to love. Notice what he says, verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. All right, I want to talk about the gift of prophecy for a second. Again, this will come up again in chapters 12 and 14. Uh, But I think prophecy has nothing to do with predicting the future. Right? You look at the Old Testament prophets, you look at the work that they did, occasionally they talked about what would happen in the future, but most of the work of a prophet was for a man or a woman to stand before the people of God and say, thus says the Lord. Okay, it is people who communicated to the people and say, here is the word that God wants you to hear. Now, sometimes it has to do with the future, sometimes it doesn't. Usually, it only has to do with the future insofar as it's, if you don't get your act right, then the future's not going to look good for you. Right? The gift of prophecy is to stand before the people of God and say, this is what God wants us to do. Now, um, I think in the first century church, a lot of people had a miraculous gift where they would hear directly from God messages that they were supposed to give to the church. I think in large part that has been replaced with the word of God that we now have in its written form. Okay? Um, I still think divine inspiration happens. Uh, But I think primarily, if you want to hear from the Lord, you need to be doing it by looking at his word, right? Um, And listening to people who are more mature than we are, okay? Um, I think, though, that Paul's point is, even if you really understood all of God's plans, if you fully understood everything that Scripture says, if you had a mind that had everything memorized in the Bible and knew exactly what God wanted, and you believed everything that God says so hard that you could even literally move mountains, if you were right about absolutely everything and didn't love, it's worthless. You know, I'm thinking of a church I knew back west uh, that I think was wrong about a lot of stuff. Uh, They were stuck on the New King James Bible. That was the only Bible that they would let anybody read because they thought that was the best Bible. Now, I don't have anything against the New King James. I think it's a fine translation, uh, but it's not the only Bible you can read. This church also had a hang-up about you couldn't eat in the church building because they misunderstood 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and thought you can't eat in a church building, so you can't have a kitchen in a church building. That would be terribly wrong. 
Okay? A lot of other stuff I think this church was just wrong about. I think they got a lot of things just absolutely wrong. Um, their preacher several times said stuff in a sermon. I thought, I don't think that's right. Okay? And yet, you know what they did get right? They loved people really, really well. They took care of their people. They took care of their community. And they were known in their community for how well they loved. And you know what? They were growing. Why? Because nobody cares how much you know or what you know if they don't know how much you care, right? That's a famous saying. Okay? And it's true and it's pithy, but it actually works. Okay? Even if I really was right about everything, it doesn't matter if I can't love. Now, do I think that doctrine matters? Of course. Uh, do I think that having right beliefs matter? Absolutely. Um, in fact, I think there's some beliefs we have to get right. Okay? You have to get belief in Jesus and the resurrection right. Okay, there's some stuff that is absolutely core. We got to get it right. Okay, but there's a bunch of other stuff we can get wrong, and yet if we can learn how to live like Jesus and love like Jesus, we can still be the instruments that Jesus wants to be in a hurting world. Okay? Your spiritual maturity is not measured by how right you are about everything. It's measured by how much you love like Jesus. Okay? It is easier to be right than to love. All right, number three. Uh, it is easier to work hard than to love. Notice verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. Uh, some of the older translations say give over my body to the flames, which I actually think is a better translation. I think that's what Paul is talking about. Uh, you notice that in this text, Paul is taking this farther than Jesus does with the rich young ruler. Right? You remember that story? Right, where the, the rich young guy comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, I want you to sell everything you have and give it all to the poor and then come follow me. And the guy says, I can't do that. I've got a lot of stuff. And then he goes away very sad because he couldn't follow Jesus. Okay? Paul is taking this even further. It's not just about giving up all of your possessions to the poor. He says, even if you could give everything you have to the poor and surrender your own body to the flames for the sake of the poor, if you gave everything, including yourself, but didn't have love, it doesn't matter. It's worthless. You know, the running joke amongst ministers is that if it wasn't for all of these church people and their needs— we could get a whole lot more work done, right? Of course, what's wrong with the statement, right? If it wasn't for the people, then there's no point to the ministry, right? I don't care how much work you can get done. I don't care how, how hard you work or how many hours you put in. If we don't do it with an eye towards loving other people, then all of the work is worthless. Now, there is a spiritual gift of giving, Right? And I think this is easier for us to see than either tongues or prophecy because I think we have a lot of experience. We can look around us and see there's a lot of people in our midst who are very good at giving. They have a gift for it. Right? That is awesome. Okay? Some of you are natural servants. You love nothing more than to roll up your sleeves and to get to work. Okay? Some of us are not natural givers. Okay? In fact, it's my wife's birthday this week, uh, and I have no idea what I should give her. If any of you who do have a gift of giving want to give me any pointers, I would really appreciate that. Uh, this is not my strong suit. In fact, Rachel often tells me when she got her own birthday gift what I got her for her birthday, right? which everybody's just happier when it goes that way. Okay, but even if your gift is giving, 
right? And that's what you're good at, and you're good at working, and you can outwork any other two of us combined, right? Which some of you are in that boat. Okay, even if that's your gift, if you do it but don't have an eye to love, it's worthless. Again, all of us have gifts. All of us have different things that we're good at. Some of us are five-talent people. Some of you are ten-talent people. Some of us are only one-talent people, okay? But whatever it is, your gift only matters insofar as you can combine it with a love like Jesus had for other people. What does it look like in your life this week to think about how can I love people around me more diligently? Who in my life do I need to love especially? Who in my life is hurting right now that I need to show an extra measure of love to? Who is it in my life that doesn't know the healing power of the gospel that I can love enough to go and share with them the message of Jesus Christ? What does it look like for each of us to love a little bit more this week? All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. Uh, This is a time in our service where we want to be here for you as the church. And before we sing that song, though, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.